Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. On your table, there are pieces of chocolate. You ready for this? Everybody should have a kiss on Valentine's, right? So there you go. All you need to do is have one, but that way you'll have at least one kiss. But uh, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Peggy is not, uh, what? What am I doing? It's not on? Something's on. Is it on? Look, is it better? The light? Just turn it off. Just turn it off? Normally, people don't have a problem hearing me anyway, right? But uh, welcome to Wyoming Valley Church. We're glad that you're here today. And again, happy Valentine's Day. Peggy, um, is not here today, and so if, uh, I know she's watching online, but she twisted her knee last night, and uh, boy, Peg, it's terrible getting old, isn't it? I'm sure she loves my sympathy, but uh, but anyway, she's home, and uh, p please pray for her, and uh, we'll see how it goes later on today. Uh, you know you know what they do with horses, right? I'm not going to do that, Peggy. Just, just, it's Valentine's Day, but anyway, welcome <laughs> Uh, we're glad that you're here, and happy Valentine's Day, Peggy. Please take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to James chapter 5. We're going to continue our study in the book of James today, and I'm going to talk with you about this. It's time to pray. It's time to pray. This is a passage, in fact, it's one of the most familiar passages in James, and I will admit to you uh, that it has some questions. I'm going to talk with you about that. But I'm not going to dwell on the question marks in this passage. I, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I, I think it's important when we study the Word of God to not... I think it's important to be a student. I think it's important to study and to learn all that we can. But a, a, advice from an old guy, and that is don't, don't worry about the questions. Learn, I think God wants us to... Th the things that are clear, the things that are obvious... The things that He can show us and by the Holy Spirit that we can implement them in our lives. I think that's the thing. So that's what I want to encourage you today about this passage. And we're going to talk about the question marks and so on. In fact, what, what I'm going to do is probably take um, maybe 75% of our time and, and just give you a little bit of introduction to this text and What's, what's James talking about here? But then at the end, I'm going to talk with you about the practical aspects of prayer, the things that we can build into our lives from this passage. So anyway, I, I want to talk with you about, and it's time to pray. And uh, that's always, always, always good advice, right? I think prayer, if nothing else, shows us that we're dependent upon God, Almighty God, and that we can't handle whatever it is. And so that we need him to pray. And so what I want to zero in on or drill down on this morning is this. From this text is this. And that is how do we help those who are weak? And the answer is going to be, you probably already gathered, is to pray. But how do we help those who are weak? If we are weak, I think it's get other people to pray. And if we, if we know other people that are weak, that we can get them to pray. Now, I'm going to show you, for those of you that are around my age or my level of maturity, probably, you'll remember these illustrations, right? Anybody remember, the guy on the left, his name is Charles Atlas. Does that name ring a bell? When I was a kid, there was a, uh, an advertisement on the back of almost every comic book for Charles Atlas, who was a bodybuilder, and uh, his catchphrase was that uh, he could help the 97-pound weakling. Be and, and there's all these ads. You can Google them now. And there were illustrations. There was like, it was a comic book. So on the back, there was these pictures of these scrawny guys on the beach with a girlfriend, and the muscle guy would kick sand in his face or whatever, and the girl would be embarrassed because her guy couldn't uh, stand up for her. And so Charles Atlas's program could help you solve the 97-pound weakling problem. And then, of course, there's Popeye, right? 
We all know Popeye. Popeye's one of my favorites. I know there's been movies and all of that, but I, I love the cartoon version of Popeye, right? And uh, Popeye was that guy that Brutus was always after olive oil. She was the babe in the cartoon. She was the girlfriend, and Brutus was always after him, and Popeye always got the stuffing kicked out of him until what? That he reached into his shirt or somewhere there was always a can of spinach. I grew up thinking, man, is spinach everywhere like that? And I didn't even like spinach and still don't. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think always humanly, here's the point of Charles Atlas and Popeye today. I think we're always looking for a trick a technique, something if we do this, this will happen. If we do this, then that means equal sign, then this will happen. And I think even in prayer, we do that. We're looking for a technique, we're looking for a plan of attack, and that will help us overcome the spiritual weakness. And so let's look at that from this passage. We're going to talk about the importance of prayer. It's time to pray. One of the things that I've said to you before is always remember this in the Bible study, and that is if God talks about something in a passage over and over and over again, it's important to God, and He wants us to remember, and we're going to look at that from this passage. And then also, I think it's important, as I said before, let's not get hung up on the questions. Let's get hung up on what God is telling us to do, and that is when we're weak, pray, get others to pray, and how do we help others with their weaknesses spiritually? Yes, get, get people to pray. That's, that's the answer. Let me read the passage, James 3. James 3, verses 13 through 18. We're almost, or James 5, excuse me, James 5. We're almost at the end of James. Let me read it. If, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or righteous person avails much. And then this, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, very human. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. That's our text. Remember I said just a moment ago that we want to look at uh, what God is saying and we want to look at the things that the text is emphasizing. Okay, to get started, I want to just give you yeah, a two-minute review of the book of James. And to do that, if you have your Bibles there, look at the first two verses in the book of James. Right away, James... Uh, his personality, maybe his writing style is people, I'm going to tell you what we're talking about right away. And James did that in the beginning of this book. Look at what it says. James 1, 1 and 2. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We studied that. And I think humanly we all want to say, what? Joy in trials? But then James presents a strategy, a plan, if you will, uh, some action steps of things that we can do to help us have joy. We talk with you about that. But let me, let me highlight what this, what this passage, all the book of James is saying. I'm going to do that quickly using these two verses. Number one is James is writing to Jewish believers. The church was new. And he is writing to Jewish believers. He says right away, the 12 tribes. Number two, James is writing to those who are scattered. Remember I talked with you about that. They were scattered because of persecution. Jews especially, but also believers, Christians today, 
were to be a part of a community. In the Jewish culture, being a part of a community, being a part of the family was really, really, really important. Now they were scattered and, and often didn't have that accountability. They didn't have that community. And so he right away is identifying that and saying, okay, because you're scattered, then there's going to be some issues that happen. And we've talked with you about many of them as we've gone through. Number three, it's really important to remember in verse two that he's talking to believers. I love the, the illustration that the writers of Scripture use where, and, and the idea of brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? My life, I've had the chance to travel. Our daughter lives in Germany, so we've been to Europe tons of times. Peggy and I have been in South Africa. I've been in most of the 50 states because of my ministry allowed me to travel. And I have met believers everywhere. And I know it, it, you've probably done this too. Met a believer, and right away there's a unity, there's a connection. We're family. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a, that's a great thing. I don't know if you're part of a family, but there's a bond with brothers and sisters that nobody else really has. Titus and Levi, identical twins. You know, my goodness, at our house, we watched them over the weekend. They often sit in the same chair. I mean, they sleep in the same... There's a connection, right? Well, there's a connection here. The connection is Christ. The connection is that we're part of God's family. We're adopted into God's family. That's an amazing blessing. And, and, and James is identifying that in this, fam, this, this passage all the way to the end, is don't forget we're a part of a community. We're a part of a family. That's why the church is so important, because we're a part of something. God's family in the world today. Then he says this, you are going to go through trials. You are going through trials. Joy, the, we'll talk about that a little bit today that inner joy that only God can bring. We'll talk about that today a little bit. That, that even going through trials, those uh, without Christ don't have that, right? Did you, ever, um, did you ever know somebody that was going through a really, really hard time and, and say to yourself, boy, what would, what would they do without Christ? Having... Jesus, part of our life, being a part of God's family is a tremendous blessing, and James is recognizing that here. Okay, let's go back. Using that for those four things as a context for this passage, that is what James is talking about all the way through this epistle. So let's go back to that. Let's go back to our passage. And again, I want to highlight that here in the passage, that the focus of what James is saying to us in this passage is prayer. You know that, right? This is a familiar passage. And half of the passage is on one slide here. It's, there's three times by the magic of Microsoft changing the fonts. I've recognized that there's three times that prayer is mentioned in those verses. In fact, verse 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Prayer is mentioned in every single verse in this passage. So it's important for us to talk about that. Here's the next slide. That pray for one another. The effective fervent prayer. Uh, he, Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed again. So again, I want you to notice that prayer is the focus of this passage. Okay, And we will take some time, talk a little bit about the questions, and then get to that at the, at the end. But in the so let's let's to introduce this. Remember, I said we're going to just talk about introductory things for like most of our time, and then we'll focus on the practicality at the end. So let's do that, okay? In a context where James is talking about prayer, there are some questions. I just want to show you as we get started a quotation from one commentator. You know, this is from Dr. John MacArthur. He's a pastor in California. He's been in the news recently. MacArthur, in his commentary on James, says this, and I highlighted the words again. The context and the content of this section make it clear that the subject, even though we might want to look for a formula, we want to look for a plan, boy, if I'm sick, 
and you know, I can call the elders of the church and all of that. The context is not physical healing, he says. Read the whole context of James or healing. Instead, its concern is with healing spiritual weakness, spiritual weariness, spiritual exhaustion, spiritual depression through prayer. Okay, through prayer, as well as dealing with the suffering and sin that accomplish that, that accompany spiritual weakness. To insert a discussion here, he says, on physical healing would be incongruous, inconsistent. And then this, nothing in the preceding or following context would prepare James readers for that, for physical illness. Now, but a section on how to help the casualties of persecution through prayer fits perfectly into the flow of James' thought. Now, let me, let me just say something. You, I, I, I love you. You love me. I know that. That uh, if you look at this passage as a passage that's talking about physical healing, folks, that's fine. I, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this later on. Um, I was in my 20s and um, was, was very, very, got very, very sick. I started to have uh, headaches every single day. Uh, I honestly, uh, I didn't even know this at the time. I came very close to having a stroke. The doctor called Peggy in and said, uh, Mrs. Walker, I want you to know that your husband is, uh, is a time bomb. You need to get ready. Uh, surprise, Peg, I made it. And, and I'm really thankful. And there were people of my life that, that I called and believed me. I wanted, I, my kids, our kids were little. I mean, I, I was scared, scared physically. And yet I wanted to trust God and all of that. And I thank God for people who came and people who implemented. What do we do when we're struggling spiritually? What do we do when people that we know are struggling spiritually? And I think, we're, we're going to look at this passage, and I think we're going to come to the conclusion, and that is pray. And that is pray. Um, let, me look at the, let me look at the text with you. Again, we're going to identify where James is headed. And in the very beginning of this passage... There are three formulas, if you will. If you got a copy of the notes today, they're on purple or pink paper, whatever that is. That's as close as I could come to Valentine's colors. So you have pink paper today. That's not necessarily my first choice, pink paper, but uh, uh, it, humor me. It's Valentine's Day. But, but there's like three, um, yeah, th three questions that James starts with. That, that, again, helps set the context for what he's talking about. And the first one is this. Is anyone suffering among you? Let them, not masculine, it's, it's, it's individual people, let them pray. Obviously, that's important. If you know someone who is suffering, pray. If you are suffering, all of us in one way or another have gone through that, right? Pray. Pray. That's a good place to start. Number two, is anyone cheerful? Let them sing psalms. That only makes sense, right? To have joy in your heart, to have, have a song in your heart. That only makes sense. And then number three, is anyone among you sick or weak? Let him, let them call for the elders of the church. And all three of those, in English it doesn't really show up this way, but all three of those things are pretty much imperatives. In other words, if you're sick, this is what you should do, not as an option. If you're cheerful, this is what you should do. If you're suffering, obviously pray. So all three of those things. So let's look at that a little bit again. Is anyone suffering? Let them pray. Obviously, that's a good thing to do. If you've gone through in your life personally... Uh, 
You've done that, right? God puts us in a place sometimes where there's nothing else we can do but pray. When we're suffering, when others are suffering, we pray for them. I think one of the great reasons for social media, by the way, is that gives you an opportunity to tell people who are hurting that I'm praying for you. I've, I've gone through that in my life where I'm very, very thankful for people who say, Mel, I'm praying for you. I, I love that, in fact, to know. Right? That's a tremendous confidence to know that. Number two, James says, is anyone cheerful? Now, I need to talk with you a little bit about that because that word cheerful means cheerful in spirit. Just this week, I was in a grocery store and uh, a typical, I'm kind of looking around at my crowd, but I'm a typical man in a grocery store. I have no idea where most of the stuff is. Right? I know where my stuff is. You know, like if I need something, I know where that is. But Peggy had me somewhere, either this week or last week, look for something. And I didn't have a clue where this was. And you know, that, you know how people, and forgive me ladies if you're like this, I'm kind of poking fun. But people who go to grocery stores usually have a pattern to their shopping. Don't they? They always go this way. They always go this way. They always go this way. I mean, there's like there's arrows. No, there's not. But there's always like arrows in the grocery store because, right? Because you always shop that way. And if you're getting your groceries, I mean, if you're just going to one thing, which is what I was doing. So I went in one aisle and it wasn't there. And I ended up going in three different aisles looking for this product. And the same lady followed me. Because she was on the pattern. And I was, didn't have a clue. And I noticed that every time that I got close to this lady, she was singing. And it, to be honest with you, it wasn't a Christian music at all. But finally, I'm, oh, three aisles. Finally, I kind of looked at her and was kind of joking like, you following me around or am I following you around? And she kind of got embarrassed and giggled a little bit. And she said, you probably noticed my singing. And I said, well, yeah, kind of. And she said this. She said, I'm just in a good mood today. Right? And I started thinking about that. We sing. Not me. No one wants me to sing if I'm in a good mood or a bad mood, unless I'm alone in the car. But it's, it's just a natural thing. Now, but here's the thing. The word cheerful there doesn't imply if you're in a good mood. It implies that you're cheerful in spirit. And there's lots of times in life when life is hard that we need to be cheerful in spirit. Probably the most familiar one. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. But probably the most familiar one. Please jot this reference down. In Acts chapter 16... Acts chapter 16. Please read this. This is a great illustration of how you can sing when times are hard because you're cheerful in spirit. In Acts chapter 16, it's the story of Paul and Silas. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are arrested for preaching the gospel. They're arrested... And because of the culture of that day, they were actually beaten with rods. Men were captives, prisoners were taken, they were stripped of their shirts, their backs were laid bare, and a soldier would come and literally beat them bloody, sometimes break bones with rods. Then they were imprisoned in stocks and in chains. Brutal punishment, right? In Acts chapter 16, it's midnight. In the center of the prison, 
so they wouldn't get out. They'd been beaten with rods. They were in stocks. They were in chains. And Paul and Silas, Acts chapter 16, start to sing. Humanly, I want to say, are you kidding me? I mean, do you think Paul and Silas, I've always loved the story of Paul and Silas. I love the story of sidekicks, right? You know, like Batman and Robin and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, you know, sidekicks. There's always Titus and Levi. There's all, they're always there. Paul and Silas were some of those people. So do you think after they got beaten with rods, do you think they're in the prison in stocks, which means they have to sit up. They're in, they're in uh, uh, chains. Do you think they had a meeting and said, uh, you know, Paul, strong personality, and he said, hey, uh, why don't we sing? I, I don't think that happened. I don't know because the text doesn't tell us, but I think probably Paul or Silas, I don't know who had the better singing voice, started to sing. And the other one joined in. That's a great illustration of having a cheerful heart even when you're going through some of the most difficult times. And I think that story tells me that even if you don't feel like singing, it might help to actually sing, and it might help bring a cheerful heart. In that passage, Acts 16, all the other prisoners started to listen to them. I mean, it's midnight, and Paul and Silas are singing this impromptu chorus, this impromptu concert, and then there's an earthquake, and God released them, and the prisoner, or the, the, the jailer and all of his family came to Christ. It's a great story. But it's a good illustration of being cheerful in spirit, even when times are hard. And I think James scattered the, the believers that were scattered because of persecution. I think that idea of to sing psalms, sing praises. And this is a context of prayer, but I think it's important to realize that in a context of prayer, praise, and to sing actually psalms and have a song in our heart because it's a cheerful spirit, not necessarily the circumstances are great. And then... Number three, is anyone weak or sick among you? That word there, sick, it really does mean weak. It means a state of weakness or incapacity. It's a word in that culture that often means, it was used like of being weak from labor, from exertion. We've, uh, we've had a few snowstorms recently, right? Right? The other day, I was out working on my driveway a little bit and, and came in and just felt tired. There are times when you feel tired, and in those cases, I think, or in this case, I think, spiritually speaking, is where James is headed, that in that case, then, it only makes sense to call for the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church who can come and have a ministry in your life who can help you during those times. Now, I'm going to do this very, very quickly, but let me talk with you about the questions in this passage, and then we'll come back at the very end and talk about, again, the practical action steps of where this passage is headed. Number one, and let me, let me just talk with you about this a little bit. I think I put this uh, in the notes, uh, uh, and there are some, um, I mean, we, we can talk about this later, and I've mentioned this several times, but whenever you come to a question mark text, all right, whenever you come to a question mark text, even me, I think it's important to realize, okay, that what, what is the Bible all about and what is the Bible saying? Number one is don't forget, when we come to a question mark text, God wrote it, not man. Number two is the Bible has one message all the way through. Don't ever think, and, and that's, I mean, Bob and I were talking about that the other day. There are people that say, Oh, well, the Bible is inconsistent because of this. It's not. I think We just have to study it. And I think that's the point here. We'll get to that in just a second. And that is don't assume it's a, a problem. <laughs> assume we don't understand. And so, and especially because the Bible was written in a different language. It's been translated, you know, a bazillion times. And it's important that we understand what is the Bible saying. The Bible has one message. Salvation by grace through faith all the way through. It's Jesus. Number, th number three is God's word does not disagree with itself. And it's really hard. It's really um, inconsistent of us 
to pull one random passage out of the Bible and say, well, this is what, this is what it means or this is what it, it says. The Bible is not a, a series of random passages. The Bible is one message all the way through. And then number four, or bullet point number four, if we come to a question, look it up, study it, ask questions, become students of the Word. That's really, really, really important. There are lots of times. Peggy was reading this week from one of the prophets, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's great, and that's important to study that. It really, but what is the prophet saying? Is it prophetic? Is it for later on? Is it for today? It's important to know the Bible context all the way through, right? Makes sense. So let's go back to the questions. Is this passage talking about being physically sick? I don't think so. I think more likely it's talking about being spiritually weak. In the Bible, and I gave you some extra notes to study there in your notes at all, as well, and that is in the Bible, uh, why would the author say, okay, when you're sick, call for the elders of the church? That doesn't make sense because the Bible does talk about physicians. Remember Luke? One of the disciples, one of the, one of the followers, excuse me, one of the followers of Paul was a physician. Jesus, in his teaching, I have these in the notes for you. Jesus says, those that are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. There were doctors then. Okay? Um, so I think it's more likely spiritual weakness. And then later on in verse 16, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. You know, that doesn't necessarily sound like a formula for healing. I think in this context... Paul is talking about the community, talking about the believers, talking about the, the Jewish community. And in that sense, realize that, uh, that there is restoration, restoration of the community, restoration from spiritual weakness and, and healing from that. And we'll talk more about that later on. And so there in your notes, and I'm sorry I did that at the last minute, there's a couple of typos in that little box that you have. But there are several references in the Bible about sickness my I, I mean I'm pleading with you today because this is a passage that has some key questions in it and that is don't build a theology don't build a practice based upon a question study it and the Bible does talk a lot about sickness the New Testament Jesus talked a lot about sickness in the Bible there were very godly people who were sick that to my knowledge some did get better some did not get better and so on. And then the Bible also talks about medicine. The Bible talks about having medicinal things ha that happen. And so all of those things, study it, folks. Let's, let's study that to get together. Number three. Or number two. Should we anoint sick, sick people with oil? I mean, does that make sense? Well, let me just talk with you a little bit about that. In the Bible, and I'm going to do this quickly, knowing that we're going to have to study this later on. In the Bible, there are cases where oil was used as a ceremony. There are other religions, by the way, and I know I'm online today. There are other religions that say anointing with oil is a sacrament. I, I don't think so, although I think in the Bible that there are times when anointing somebody with oil was seen as a ceremony. The illustration that I put down there is uh, Mary anointing, rubbing Jesus' feet with oil. She did that because saying, this teacher is important, this teacher is God. So that it was a ceremony there. Number two, often oil was used in the Bible uh, for medicinal purposes. Maybe as medicine. I put down there the reference in Luke. Remember, that's the passage. We've talked about that recently about the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan must have had oil with him and he used that for medicinal purposes. And then number three, also in the Bible, oil or anointing or rubbing someone with oil is mentioned symbolically. One of my favorites is in Psalm 23. You know Psalm 23, that's one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you, capital U, Y, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And I'm going to stop there. There are times in the Bible where that is an illustration of God's blessing and God's comfort. And I think this occasion when James was writing to the Jewish believers that were scattered abroad because of persecution, to have the elders come and pray and have the elders come, I think it was a sign that God is in this, that God can comfort you through this, and even if it is physical sickness, I think it's important to realize that God is in this, and that God's got a purpose for what he's taking us through in our lives. Number three, is, does it, is this passage teaching that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I think it's important to understand that also the word sick here is the same word that Hebrews 12.3 says. It's the word for weary. Remember I mentioned that already, the word for tiredness. I think here it's a prayer offered in faith. Folks, here's the thing. I think humanly, remember... My opening illustration, that's all I could think of. You know, Charles Atlas and Popeye. I think humanly we want a formula. Get me out of this now. That if I do this formula, this, 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 God has to heal me. I think studying all of the Bible, realize that God may have a different purpose. God certainly answers prayer, and this passage teaches that. But I think it's important to pray understanding the attributes and the nature of the character of God and what God is trying to do in our lives. And then number four, if we confess our sins to one another, will we be healed? And I think that also is a word for spiritual restoration in community and realizing that we're a part of what God's doing. Again, folks, I think you're going to have to study this on your own. I want to just take the next few minutes and talk with you about what does this passage teach about prayer. And I think that the question marks, I, I, I couldn't come and preach this morning and skip over the question marks in this passage without telling you a little bit about what I think, about what I've come to conclusion in my study. But, folks, you do it too, right? Now, let's change the course and talk about what does this passage teach about prayer? We're going to do this very quickly. What does this passage teach about prayer? And there's four descriptors of prayer in these few verses. Number one is what James calls the prayer of faith. Actually, the language here is a prayer that is offered in faith. Maybe that's the same thing in your mind, and that's okay. The prayer that's offered in faith. And I think it's important when we study prayer in God's Word, I've said this just a minute ago, that we understand, at least in our hearts, and appreciate God's character, God's nature, God's attributes, and how God wants to answer prayer in our lives. And so I think that prayer offered in faith, I think is a prayer knowing that God is going to do something. Um, I'm not going to take the time to, to have you turn there either, but one of my favorite passages about prayer is found in the book of Daniel. I think it's chapter 8. It's after the stories about Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's, it's after that. And the book of Daniel turns very prophetic, right? About prophecy. And in Daniel 8, I think, there's a study or there's a, a narrative 
of a long, serious prayer by Daniel for a very specific need in his life. And it's almost as if in that chapter, time goes on and Daniel is wondering, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of giving you Mel's paraphrase of that story in the Old Testament, that Daniel's kind of wondering, God, why didn't you answer that prayer? And in that story, it tells the story about how at the moment Daniel prayed, God released the angels of heaven. And they were busy, Gabriel was busy taking care of the issue during Daniel's frustration with God. So I don't think we need to get frustrated by God's timetable being different than ours. I think this prayer offered in faith is a prayer that says, I trust Almighty God, and I also trust His timetable. God is a God all the way through the Bible. God's a God that answers prayer. But again, folks, what we can't do is put God in a box and say that God has to meet my timetable and has to do it in my way. A prayer that's offered in faith, we'll talk about this more in just a second, is a prayer that says, I believe that God will keep his word, and I believe that God is going to be at work. And sometimes that's even behind the scenes. Number two, this, this passage talks about fervent prayer. Fervent prayer in the Bible is often a word that means boiling or bring to a boil. Fervent prayer. It's a decisive, urgent prayer. And God is saying here that the decisive, urgent prayer of a godly person uh, accomplishes much. We know this verse. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Right? We learned it as a kid. Urgent prayer. Prayer. There are times, folks, where all we, ha- all we can do is get a hold of God and to realize that our prayer needs to be decisive, needs to be intentional, need- and we'll talk about that more in a minute, but needs to be urgent because we're in a situation where all we can do is pray. Earlier today, I'll, I'll tell you this quickly, I was in my 20s. I think I've told you this story before. And sick. We had a guy in our church who was one of those guys that taught me so much about prayer that I'll never forget him. His name was Eddie. Eddie was in his 40s back then. I was in my 20s. And Eddie was uh, um, handicapped a little bit. And Eddie had some learning disabilities. He lived with his mom. He was in his 40s. He could not live on his own and Eddie and his mom came to church Eddie had a bunch of health situations he was often in the hospital and had things like congestive heart failure and ultimately died of a heart issue when he was a very young man but Eddie was my buddy his mom Mrs. Olson would bring Eddie to church and they'd sit together and she'd bring Eddie one page of a coloring book that was Eddie and let Eddie color in church during the message. Eddie would, uh, was my buddy. I went often to see him when he was in the hospital. Our church was a larger church, and there were several entr- exits to the church. And all of the pastors on our staff stood at a different door, like shaking hands with people when they left. Eddie would look around and look for my door wherever I was and come to my door. And I'm not, I mean, I'm a guy that can't hide, right? So he'd always find me. And so my office was lined with Eddie Olson masterpieces that he thought it was just the coolest thing, that Pastor Mel had uh, Eddie Olson pictures in in my office. And uh, I was with Eddie in the hospital when Eddie was sick, and Eddie was a man that believed, had that childlike faith. And then I got sick. After it's all over, Mrs. Olson told me the story that one more every morning, Eddie and his mom, his mom would get Eddie up every single morning. They would have cereal together, Eddie and his mom, and then they would go into the living room and have their devotions and have their time of prayer. That morning, 
during cereal, Mrs. Olson said to Eddie, Eddie, for prayer today, we're going to pray for Pastor Mill because he's sick. Eddie, with that childlike faith, got up, never finished his Cheerios, went into the living room because that's where you pray, and kneeled down at the sofa because that's where you pray, and prayed for me for almost the next eight hours. You got to understand, Eddie. Did you ever talk to somebody that when they pray, they kick into King James language? Dear Heavenly Father, that's not Eddie. Eddie prayed like this, God, help Pastor Mel get better. God, help Pastor Mel get better. God, help Pastor Mel get better. Over and over and over and over and over again for hours. His mom told me afterwards that Eddie didn't get up for lunch. He didn't get up to go to the bathroom. He prayed for me. Do you think there's any wonder that I got better? I'm here. Right? I think a lot of it is people like Eddie who prayed, who trusted God enough to know God's going to do this. God's going to do this. That's the fervent prayer. These two go together. Elijah, the story of Elijah is found in 1 Kings 17 and 18. That's an incredible story. Write that down. Study it sometime. Study Elijah. James uses it as an illustration here. But he talks about Elijah and Elijah's earnest prayer. Earnest is a word that means serious or intentionality, or with purpose. <clears throat> Elijah, 1 Kings 17, shows up in an enemy king's palace and says, it's not going to rain till I say it rains. That's a guy who believed in God. He's a guy that was serious, that was intentional, that prayed with purpose. Then three and a half years go by, he shows up again, and it rained. I mean, it pointed it rained. Elijah, a man that believed God, a man that believed God is the one who can handle things, and a man who believed in earnest for prayer, serious, intentional, and I think God's honored by that kind of prayer. One more and I'm done. Elijah's story, it says this, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. We read that in English, and it's like, okay, he prayed again. The word there, for, again, really means still. It has the idea that Elijah kept on praying. If you study the story of Elijah, he's the one that called down the prophets of Baal, or the, uh, God against the prophets of Baal. He called down God from heaven. God, Elijah was a man of prayer. He, did, he wasn't a guy that just prayed every now and then. And I think that's the idea in the New Testament where God tells us to pray without ceasing. That our prayer life, that our relationship with God is such that we can pray intently and fervently and purposefully anytime to God, Almighty God. Now, let me just make this practical and we're going to be done. Okay? In Luke chapter 11, there's a story of a man that asks his neighbor for bread. And the neighbor says, no, uh, I can't give you bread. I'm in bed. It's at midnight. I can't give you bread. My kids are in bed. I, I'm not going to give you bread. And the guy, the neighbor, keeps knocking. He keeps knocking. And ultimately, the neighbor gets up and gives the guy bread. He said, not that he knocked or not that he was my neighbor, but because, it says in the Bible, because of his persistence. And I thought about that neighbor who wanted bread. I thought about that. He knew that there was bread in the house, right? He knew. That guy's got bread. And, I'm, and my family needs bread. When we pray that way, we pray knowing that God is the God that can and will answer our prayer. And it's not with formula. It's not in our timetable. It's in God's timetable. So in saying that, let me just say these four things to make it very practical at the end. 
Number one, pray specifically for those with spiritual needs. If you know people or if you are one, folks, get people to pray. There are times in my life where I have said I need prayer and I can't tell you about what, but I need prayer. I've done that. Pray specifically for those with spiritual needs. If you know people who are struggling spiritually, we often pray, you know, and I'm, I'm so thankful, pray that Mel's asthma gets better or whatever, but if somebody has a spiritual need, pray specifically. Number two, urgent prayer should be a priority in our lives. Urgent prayer should be a priority in our lives. Number three, God wants us to be intentional, obviously, in our prayer lives. I am a big believer in prayer lists because I'm a guy that forgets things. I think Paul had a prayer list. Often in the Bible, Paul said, Paul said, I pray for you every day. How would he do that without a list? And then number four, God wants us to be persistent in prayer. Folks, all of my message today has been, don't put God in a box. Don't make God have to fulfill our formula, our timetable, because God, the neighbor's got bread there. God is the guy who can do it. God is the one, excuse me, who can do it. I don't want to be flippant about that at all. God's the one that can, be answer, that can answer prayer. So this message, the purpose of this message, how do we help those who are spiritually weak? Folks, it's time to pray. And I'll do that as we close. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time looking at a, uh, a passage that has questions, at least in my mind. But Father, help us to study it. Help us to be students of your word. Help us not to just accept something that we've heard or on face value, but to study it, to be students, rightly dividing the word of truth, your word says. God, help us to be like Elijah. Help us to learn to pray with intentionality, with fervency, with urgency, on purpose. Help us to pray in your timetable. Father, as James has already said, that our prayers should be, Father, your will be done. If you will, if your will, I'll do this and that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us about prayer today. Father, when we're struggling, help us to get others to pray. When we know of others who are struggling, help us to be the ones who pray, being a part of the community of God in your family. Father, I'm so thankful we can pray. We do that in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Folks, thanks for letting me explain this today. I hope it's been a help to you, and let me know if there's any questions.